Welcome to the New Harvest Podcast. Today's sermon is called Children of God, and the scripture reading comes from the book of 1 John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. The Bible says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves, just as He is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that He appeared so that He might take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. No one who lives in Him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen Him or known Him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are, and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. All right. So um, I remember a long time ago, a friend of mine just got dumped by her boyfriend. Right? And this was like when we were in high school. So you know, it's like the high school love kind of thing. And her boyfriend also happened to be a friend of mine. So I remember I was just kind of in the middle of this like terrible breakup. And so we were at church and she was just crying and, and she was all broken hearted and confused. Like, how could he do this to me? Why would he do this? And all these kind of things. And I was sitting there uh, trying to console her or I was forced to console her since she just started crying in front of me. And I was like, hey, um, don't worry about it. You know, everything's going to be fine. Jesus loves you. And then she kind of stopped crying for a second. She looked up at me and said, yeah. But Jesus loves everyone. Who is going to love me? And then she started to kind of go back right into crying. And I, mean, I just remember that, like, you know, like when we hear or see something enough times, it becomes routine, it becomes mundane, it becomes cliche, um, it becomes a moral platitude. Uh, so this is the definition that I found of a platitude. A remark or statement, especially one with moral content, that has been used too often to be interesting or thoughtful. Right? So doesn't that describe a lot of Christianity and kind of what we believe for us? Especially if you grew up in the church or your parents are pastors or deacons. Right? It's been used too often to be interesting or useful or thoughtful. Right? And so for my friend at that moment, Jesus loves you had become a moral platitude. She heard it so many times growing up that the words didn't really mean much to her anymore. Like she even thought, right, that the love of God wasn't that special. Right? She was like, right, what's so special about the love of God if everyone has it, right? If it's freely available to everyone, right? Because that's what we learn and are taught all the time. Jesus loves everyone. Like literally everyone and you know no matter what they have done no matter how evil they are no matter how bad they are jesus loves everyone 
right? It's just like, you know, just, just God's love just gets handed out freely, right? Like, like napkins or like, you know, pre-approved credit cards. Now, I would argue the opposite. I would probably argue that the universal, you, you know, the, the universalness, the, the vastness, the infiniteness of God's love that is available freely to everyone no matter what they have done, right, is exactly what makes it so special. Because look at how stingy with our own, that we are with our own love. But yet, this is how high and how wide and how deep and how long is the love of Christ that is just freely given to people that don't deserve it all the time, without question. But anyways, you know, I didn't say that to her when she was crying. But the love of Christ, right, becomes something kind of basic, generic, uninteresting and ordinary and unremarkable for her and for us. And this happens all the time, right? Like our faith can can become nothing more than a collection of unmoving and uninteresting platitudes, just sayings, right? And maxims and cliches. And so everything that kind of we hear growing up as Christians has become so cliche for us. And then I was thinking about this. There is no apostle more cliche than John, right? A lot of the cliches that we have in Christianity come from John. Right? Like God is love, love one another. He's the one that's saying all those things. Um, just like 1 John 3, 1, the passage we read today. Right? This is like one of the most cliche things that anyone could say. How great is the love of the Father right? that has lavished on us. That we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. And nobody gets excited about that. Like I just said, the Father loves you. Are you excited? I just said that you're a child of God. Are you excited? Are you happy? No, you're just like, okay, tell me something I don't know. Right? Be honest. Do these statements, do this verse, like, does it do anything for you? Does it stir up anything for you in your heart? No, probably not. You just probably think to yourself, I've heard that before. I hope you will finish soon. But John right, is super excited. Right? So I want you to pay attention to this verse, verse 1. And I don't want you to pay attention to the words, but I want you to pay attention to the punctuation. When was the last time you saw an exclamation point in the Bible? Right? But we see it here, two, two of them, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. Right? So the, the, whoever was translating the Bible realized that John wasn't just saying it. Right? He wasn't just spitting out information. This got him excited. This got him, you know, you know, he was passionate about what he was saying. He was, you know, intense. He was enthusiastic about this basic cliche thing. Right? And so it may be cliche for you and me, but it wasn't cliche for John. This idea that we are the children of God and, and God loves us. Right? And this is the strange thing when I think about it is, if anyone should be bored of these things, if anyone should find these things cliche, it should have been John. At this point, we think that he was probably preaching this, right? He was preaching for nearly 50, 60 years about the love of God. And yet John is still excited. He's still fascinated and amazed by the love of God. He's so happy to be a child of God. Right? And think about this old man, 80, 90 years old, getting excited about something that we teach little children at Sunday school. 
right? It moves him. It astounds him, right? And the question is, how come it astounds him? And he knows it better than all of us. He actually lived with Jesus for a while. But how come he's not dulled by it? He's not, uh, you know, he doesn't find it so cliche and boring like we do. It's, it's maybe we don't know God. We don't know Jesus in the same way that John does. Like we don't see. Right? So if you look at the passage, this passage doesn't say it. But in the Greek, it says, behold. Right? It says, behold, how great is the Father's love. It, it's kind of been smoothed out. And, but it says, so John is saying, behold or see. Right? Behold means to stop and look. Right? Really stop and deeply consider, examine what I'm, what I'm about to say. I think we've been programmed by life and just by the programs and the apps that we have to be superficial and shallow about everything that we do, to, to get it over with quick, right? Because we're gonna do the next thing, we're gonna scroll on to the next article, the next video, the next thing, just get to the end. Right? We want everything to be quick, efficient and effective. Right? We don't want to wrestle with the meaning of the passage or contemplate right, deep spiritual things or whatever. We just want the main point. We want the bottom line. We want the answer. And whenever you look at scripture, whenever you look at God in that way, where you're trying to get the bottom line, trying to get the answer, that's when you actually miss the point. You know, Because there is a value to searching and seeking, to wrestling with certain ideas, to meditating on things for a long, long time, to meditating on like a certain scripture. Because when you search for God, it produces a hunger for God that only God can satisfy, right? It creates desire, anticipation, a hope, an appetite for spiritual things, right? The Bible talks about um, like in the parable of the lost son or the lost coin, Right? The person is looking for this coin. The person is looking for the lost sheep. The person is looking for the lost son. And then there is joy, immense joy, when they actually find what you were looking for. Isn't that true? Like when you lose something and you look everywhere for it and then suddenly you find it, you're so happy. But if something is just given to you, it falls on your lap, it doesn't really you know, hit you with the same kind of thing. So there is a joy that comes with looking for something and then finding it, or finally succeeding in something after you try hard so many times, or you know, fulfilling your dreams that you have for such a long time. Right? You only gain a true appreciation for the things that you work for, for the things that you study. Right? Who gets excited about shoes? Right? A serious sneakerhead. Not just a casual person who wears shoes, right? A regular person may look at that and say, I, they, and, and look at a pair of shoes and they, they just see, oh, it's a pair of shoes. I can put my feet in them. Or sometimes if you know a little bit, you'd be like, oh, I can make, you know, $100 if I sell this shoe, an X amount of money. But if you're a sneakerhead, if you're someone who has devoted their lives to studying and knowing about shoes and sneakers and stuff like that, you see, right? They see much more than a pair of shoes. So then when they see a pair that they really know is rare or valuable or whatever, they get excited. It's not just a pair of shoes to them. The, the mathematician gets excited when they see a beautiful 
formula, like a beautiful math formula or a beautiful solution. Because why? They know math. And they know that it doesn't the, the, the solutions don't always come out that beautifully. Or a coder gets excited about like a beautiful line of code or like when it does something that it's supposed to do, right? You work on it for days and days and weeks and it finally works, you get excited. But if you don't know anything about coding, you're not gonna get excited. We often think that we are bored with Jesus because we know him. I know, I've heard it all my life. But the truth is, if you are bored with Jesus, if you're not amazed by his love, then according to John, and I agree with him, then it's a sign that you probably really don't know him at all. Right? If you are bored with the love of God, then you don't really know what God's love is at all. So John says, look, behold, see. He says, see. And I think that's one step that we kind of miss a lot. We have to stop and actually see. Not just gloss over it, glance over it, skim over it to get the answer. And now, what are we supposed to see? He says, the great love of the Father. Now, the the translation is a little bit misleading because the word that is translated as great here is potapos. And it really doesn't really, it doesn't literally mean great. It actually means like from what country or from what sort, like where is it from? So what John is saying, like what kind of love is this? What country, what region, what area is this from? Right? Where is this love from? So he's basically saying this is a foreign love. It's an alien kind of love, right? This kind of love that I see from God, I see from the Father, doesn't exist on earth. It's not a human love. So he's mystified. He's puzzled. He's he's bewildered. He's like beside himself as he's looking at what what God's love is like. So when was the last time you were actually bewildered in awe of God's love? When you said, oh, what kind of love is this that God would love me? What is so amazing about the Father's love. Right? So what's so amazing is that the, the, the thing that's so amazing, he says in verse 1, is that we should be called the children of God. And he makes an exclamation point. It's like, it's amazing when you think about the fact that you are the children of God. And this is another cliche, right? Oh, we are the children of God. I've even heard an atheist say, this, right? Like, are we all the children of God? So everyone deserves to be treated with equality and dignity and respect because we are all the children of God. There are no different races or, you know, peoples. We are all one. Even atheists or agnostic people use this term, children of God. And what they mean, right? What, What people mean when they say, hey, we are all children of God is they just simply mean, hey, we are all created by God. So no one's better than you know someone else and stuff like that. And if that's what John is saying, like, oh, we are all created by God, then there's no reason to be excited about what he's saying, right? But that's not what John is talking about. The Israelites, right, in the Old Testament, the Israelites were God's chosen people. God gave them the law, the temple, the ark, you know, um, and God sent you know prophets to Israel to to perform mighty deeds and speak and, 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 and be with them, right? So 
The Israelites always saw themselves as the people of God, God's chosen people. They, they knew God chose them, right? But they, they would never dare to call themselves the children of God. They considered it blasphemous to call God Father. So no one would ever do it in the Old Testament. Right? Because it would simply imply that they were equal with God. So if you look at, we're going to look at John 5, 18. And John points this out. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only as he was breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So, right? This is the reason... Well, one of the main reasons why the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law wanted to stone Jesus. Not because of like his radical teachings on love, like, hey, love your neighbor and love your enemy. Because he was saying stuff like this. He was calling God Father and referring to him as Father. Right? And this is what made them angry. Because there is no way a human being is equal with God, right? God is eternal, He is immortal, He is pure. He is spirit. We're nothing but flesh and bones. We're not. We're nothing but dust. There, how can God be our Father when we're so vastly different? Right. That would be like saying a sculpture of a man and the man who created the sculpture were the same thing. That would be ridiculous, right? Even if that sculpture looks exactly like the man who created it, they're not the same thing. They're different, right? Totally different in nature, in the, you know. The, the chemical composition, everything, whatever. One is alive, one is dead. That will be ridiculous, right? Because one is flesh and the other is clay. Right? And for us and God, God is spirit and we are flesh. But Jesus, who was a man, kept calling God Father. Not only that, he instructed his disciples to call God Father. Right? Pray, our Father in heaven. And then not only that, he promised us to give us his spirit and that his spirit will dwell within us. And then he also promises us we will have new, eternal, imperishable, he says in 1 Corinthians 15, spiritual bodies that are eternal and imperishable, just like Jesus. Having the spirit of God, you know, this new body, calling God Father, being equal with God. So, when you think about it, Jesus gave up equality with God to make us equal with God. This is what it means to be called the children of God. Not just that, you know, we were you know created by God a long time ago with Adam and Eve, but that now we share this same nature, right? Uh, the same substance. It's like this that, that clay sculpture becoming flesh and bones just like the, the creator. So we have become just like the creator. We have become equal with God in this sense, in this kind of outrageous sense. Right? Sometimes when children get adopted, they feel like they're still not equal to the to the children, to, to the real children. Right? They feel like less loved or inferior in some kind of way. And, and, and John is saying, well, when, when, when God, the Father, adopted us, he didn't do that. He didn't you know, reserve or withhold anything from us. He made us just like Jesus in every single way. And that's what that means to be called the children of God. It's not that we're like nice like Jesus or like friendly like Jesus, but that we have 
not just righteousness of God or the, or the righteousness of Jesus, but the Spirit. But but you know all of these things right, is far deeper than just hey we're all the children of God, right? And so he's saying understand that is what you are, right? So John says in verse three now we'll go to verse three. Everyone who has his hope purifies himself just as he is pure, just as Jesus is pure. So first thing that John says is that you are the children of God. That is what we are. And then he says, all who have this hope purify themselves. But a lot of people, right, reverse this. A lot of people purify themselves in hopes of becoming the children of God, in, in the hopes of becoming a child of God. We always reverse the order, like, oh, I need to act righteous and purify myself so that I can become right, a child of God. Right? Or we think that we're not the children of God because we sin. Right? But think about it. What father would demand their, their newborn son to say, hey, Son, you have to do this and this and this and do all these righteous things before I call you my son. Right? No. As soon as the child is born, the father calls on him as son, looks upon him as a son, and treats him as a son, and loves him as a son before he demands his son to do one act of obedience. Right? And the father does not demand obedience from strangers. A lot of people... They're Christians, but they feel like they don't know God at all. And they're like, but God wants me to do all these things. No. If you don't know God and God doesn't know you, you're not a child of God. He will not demand you be obedient to him or do, you know. He a father only demands obedience from his children. Right? He don't go to other people's children and say, you got to do what I say. Right? And children... Imitate their father. So, you know, my son Jonah, he goes to the daycare and they send uh, daily reports at the end of the day, like about what he did and stuff. And so one day the teacher <laughs> wrote on the report, you know, like, um, you know, we told Jonah to like not run with like this toy in his hands or something like that. And then he came over to us and pushed us away with his hands <laughs> and started yelling at us. I started laughing when I read the message because I could like imagine, I could envision exactly how he would do it because that's what I did. <laughs> I pushed him and I yelled at him. So like, I could kind of see what he would do, right? Because he's imitating me. He learned that from his father. And so whether we like it or not, we take after our fathers, right? Like we look like our fathers, we act like our father. We sometimes have the same attitude and personality uh, as our fathers, right? Sometimes even if we don't want to, like you know, for a long time I really didn't want to be like my father um, because growing up I thought he was kind of he he neglected me because he had to work and I didn't really understand that all that kind of stuff. And I was like, when I have a son or when I have children, I'm going to spend more time with him. And all this kind of stuff. So, as I was saying that, and then I remember when Jonah was like a baby, still like a you know like six months or a year old, I was asking my mom like, "Hey, how do you do this? How do you do that? How do you take care of?" And then my mom was like, "I don't know how to do any of those things. Cause I didn't do them for you. Your father is the one who bathed you and took care of you and changed all your diapers and did everything." And I was like, 
That's crazy because that's what I'm doing right now. I'm the one who's, you know, mostly doing all of those things. I'm like, I'm just like my dad, even when I didn't realize it. Right? And so he's saying, right? We will purify ourselves. Right? When we see who God is, we'll start acting like him. Right? Right? Just because when we see that God is pure and we know that he's our father, we're going to start acting like our fathers. Right? And so we will be like Jesus when we start imitating our father. But if you have a different father, then you will take up after him. Verse 7 and 8. Dear children, do not, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Right. That makes it clear. Look, if you if God is your father, you're gonna follow after him. If someone else is your father, you're gonna follow after him. You're the son of the person that you follow. But John now he starts to give hope. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Right? The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Now the question is, do you think Jesus will fail? Do you think Jesus can actually destroy the, the devil's work? Right? Sometimes we don't, I think a lot of times we don't believe it. So anyways, we go on. To verse 9, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. So, like, we're going to kind of talk about what this verse means. But in the parable of the sower that you guys all should know, right, that it talks about the, the different fields, you know, and the sower you know, puts the you know, different seeds and on the different fields. Jesus says the seed represents the word. And Christians all around, they go, oh yeah, that's the Bible, of course, the word of God. But think about it. None of the New Testament was written at this time when Jesus was saying this parable. Right? He wasn't saying the Bible. right? When he says the word, who's the word? Jesus is the word. So Jesus is God's seed. And if Jesus is in you, right? What the parable is saying is it will have an effect on you. Right? If the seed of God is in you, you will not continue to sin. In fact, he says you cannot go on sinning because the seed of God will bear fruit in you. The seed of God, you will have been born of God because you are a child of God. So I love this verse where it says that you cannot go on. Not because you're good, not because... You're going to try really hard to stop sinning because he's like, if, if God's seed is in you, you can't go on sinning. Right? So it's all on God. It's all on Jesus to actually stop you from sinning. It's not on you. Right? But the problem is we always put it back on us and say, it's my responsibility to make myself stop sinning. And we ignored the, the seed of God. Right? And so Jesus cannot have effectiveness and power over us. A seed produces what it is, right? Like an apple seed will produce apples. A watermelon seed will produce watermelon. And the seed of God 
will produce God or a seed of Jesus will produce Jesus. And that's all John is trying to say. Like, it just makes sense. Right? And the children of God will resemble their father, right? You, you know, when you look at your own son or when people look at me and my son, my, you know, Jonah, they always say, look just like his dad, for better or for worse. But that's, that's what people say when they see other people's children. Oh, you look just like your mom. You look just like your dad or whatever. Right? And so that's what, Jesus, that's what John is saying. If you're a child of God, you're going to look just like your dad. So you're going to love like Jesus. You're going to look like Jesus. You're going to act like Jesus. You're going to think like Jesus. Right? Because Jesus acted just like the Father as well. Jesus was the perfect son because he was perfectly obedient to Jesus and everything. So, there is a seed that is in you that is working powerfully to transform you to just to be just like Christ. Right? And the seed that John is talking about is Christ. So Christ will forgive all your sins. He will rebuke you, discipline you when you need it. He will prune sinful desires, old habits, old things you know, out of your heart. He will weed out your hidden sins and your wickedness that you disguise as goodness. He will bring you back every time you've gone astray, just like the lost sheep. Right? He will work tirelessly to make you holy and blameless. He will forgive you unconditionally and yet still tell you to sin no more. He will never give up on you, even though everyone in common sense says he should. So even now, right now, you may have no thought of him, no care about him, no passion for him. But he's still wildly passionate about you. He thinks of you. He's jealous for you. And so, so that's what he's saying. That's what John's saying. Behold, look at it. Even though you are so unloving and uncaring about God. Right? Look at what God is willing to do for you. Look at what he has done already. What kind of love is this? Where is this from that the Father has lavished on us? That we, foolish, arrogant, stubborn, stiff-necked people, sinners who can't help themselves, should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. Right? That's something to get excited about. Right? It's sad to me when Christians call God their father, like, you know, oh, father, but at the same time, they're like, I have no idea who God is. Right? And I feel like that's so true for a lot of Christians. They say God is their God or their father. They have no idea who God is. And so all I'm you know, trying to say is, I don't want your, your entrance into heaven to be like the Mari show or something like, uh, he's not the father. <laughs> he just dropped down or something like that. But I want you to know. I want you to have confidence. It makes sense, right? If you're a child of God, you should know your father. Right? You should resemble your father. You should be like your father. You should love your father. Right? And so this is what John is saying to us. What a marvelous thing. That God will love us in this way and call us the children of God. And that is what we are. So let's pray. 
Um, dear Father, um, when we look at ourselves, when we look at our life and our actions and thoughts, there are many things that indicate to us that we are not the children of God. But there's only one thing that matters, that God's seed is in us, that Christ is in us. And by this wondrous, amazing love, even now, even when we fall astray, even when we fall away from you, we are still the children of God, and that is what we are. So I just pray for all, anyone who's here or anyone who's listening who may feel that they have lost their you know, relationship with you or they don't know you or they don't feel that they are truly the children of God, uh, that they will learn to not put their hope in themselves or in their actions, but they will put their hope in you and in your love for us. And so just be with us today and grant us your grace and mercy as we leave this place. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.